So, of course, we come to the place where the anointing leaves Saul. We came to a place in Samuel, 1 Samuel there, where uh, the Amalekites, uh, God tells Saul to go and kill all of the Amalekites. The children, everyone, wipe them from the face of the earth. Now, that, those are hard things when your kids are sitting in front of you and they read their, their chapter and then you know the questions that are going to come at you. Well, Dad, how can a God who's full of love, who's full of mercy, who's full of caring, and all of those things um, command them to go and do those things? And my question was, did they? Did they do those things? So that was my question back to them. And so we kind of went back and forth. We talked about God. God is a, a full of justice. He's also full of mercy. And we talked about how they come together. But I said, God became discontented with his people. Now, that sounds kind of odd. And I said, but, but are there things in our life that we need to be discontented about? Or are there things that, that we're content about in our lives? Because each one of you are always trying to do better. Each one of you have goals that you set every year. This time of year, my kids, I uh, have them fill out before we go to January 1. They fill out a little three-by-five card and tell me three goals that they want to hopefully obtain for the next year, so for 2024 or whatever it might be. So in that, we what we're talking about is you're not contented with where you are. You're somewhat discontented with where you are, and you want to move on, and you think these things, if I accomplish them, that I'll find contentment in my life. Well, so as we talked and we discussed and kind of went through some things, there's kind of some, some difficult conversations over really the last uh, few mornings with my daughters. You know, not me trying to justify God, but trying to show God's actions through the life of Saul. They had a question yesterday. Well, why did the anointing leave him? Dad, what if the anointing leaves you? Well, I'm not King Saul. <laughs> Don't have that kind of anointing. Um, that's the first thing to understand. But yes, we all need to walk in his anointing. So all these things kind of come to pass. They come to mind. They come to fruition with my family as we just study the word, these questions, these things that bring us to a place of, in, in many ways, discontentment, a place of saying, you know, um, there is so much more that I need to know, so many more areas that I need to grow in. So as we talk this morning, I look at the Apostle Paul, and this is the cool thing. I was just reviewing um, some of these notes, and the cool thing that happened through these notes is I had the opportunity to, to basically say, hey, uh, hey, kids, I've got something for you. Let's, let's look at some of these notes. So I'm going to unpack some of that as Christmas time's around. You know, I was at the square on, at Canyon this past week, and they had the lighting of the tree ceremony and all these things, and um, you have Santa Claus everywhere. You've got um, candy canes everywhere. You've got all this stuff. You've got fireworks. Any of you there? The other night, okay, none of you. Okay, this isn't going to connect, is it? <laughs> well, y'all were at Bible study. <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah. All right, you holy men. Somebody else teach this next week, would you? Um, <clears throat> so as, as uh, I was there, I just noticed, you know, it's amazing how so many things come to replace, so many things come to get the attention off of what the attention is supposed to be on. It's uh, everything with Santa. The, the, the last thing of the light parade was who? Santa Claus. And all the kids are going crazy and running down the street and chasing him and all these things. And I thought, boy, you know, if only we had that excitement over what the real season of Christmas is supposed to bring. 
going through Tulia the other night, took my dad down there. He's in the swing bed there at Tulia, and I was taking him there and got him all settled in and everything, was leaving out that night and went by the square. And when I went by the square, I noticed, man, they got a beautiful, beautiful scene of Santa Claus and the reindeer all on this courthouse square, right, and all this stuff about Santa. And I became very discontented. I, I, I started going, you know, I think we're missing. Uh, there's always something that comes in. I mean, at Easter, who is it? It's the Easter bunny. Satan always has his, his counterpart, if you will, just, just the, the antichrist of, of what these seasons are supposed to bring. The other thing that, that really has come up in my house lately is this question. What do you want for Christmas? Because we're not content with what we have. We, we're always being convinced that we need more. The latest Apple Watch, the latest iPhone, you can't get one like this. That right there is a welding mark. I, uh, everybody wants to buy that case. Where'd you get that? I'll have to make you one. Um, you know, there, there's just all these things that are out there that, that are telling us that we need, we deserve more. And this time of year, men, pay attention to all this. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 4. Some of you will be very familiar with 4.13, but I want to back it up just a little bit. Philippians 4.11, this is the Apostle Paul, and he says these words. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Now, if the Apostle Paul comes and he says, I know what it means to be content in every situation. That means that, that he, knows, he, knows, he knows it all. He knows what, what's going to be represented here. He knows what it means to be with. He knows what it means to be without. He knows all this because that's what he says. I have learned the secret. I want to know your secret, Apostle Paul. What is it? Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, we use that as our verse because... Uh, um, you know, we're going to go win the football game. But Paul goes so much deeper here. So we're going to start unpacking some of the thoughts of Paul. You know, it's, it's interesting because most of us are fine until we figure out what we don't have. You notice that? I mean, you got donuts back here. You got coffee. We're fine until we find out what we don't have. And that's what Christmas today has in many ways become. It's become a place of discontentment to convince you that there's something out there that you must have that you don't have. And men, I'm telling you, that very thought is after our kids. And so we live, and you know this, in a day and time of consumerism, of being spoiled. And here's the thing. We have a couple of areas of weakness probably for each one of us men. For me, over the years, it's been pickups. But there's technology, there's clothes, there's houses, there's appliances, there's camera equipment, there's phones, there's kitchens, there's books, there's computers. There's probably stores that all of us men ought to uh, or should avoid. Um, there's uh, a couple of hardware stores that I probably don't need to go in, right? And it's, it's not the case everywhere in the world. If you've been around the world, if you visited other, other countries, if, if you've been to uh, poor countries, third world countries, and you know that um, a, a store there, a, a mall in those countries, in those cities many times won't survive because there's no money for an exchange. So here's the twist. More stuff, money does not reduce discontentment. I need to say that. More money. Because most of us, <clears throat> when we boil it all out, we simply start looking and saying, you know, if I, only I had more money. I could get more things. 
and I wouldn't be as discontented in my life. The desire for stuff is like an appetite, man. The more food, more food does not resolve your desire for food. It's just the opposite. Appetites that are fed grow. I say this all the time. I say this to my kids. You got to starve an appetite. We just came out of Thanksgiving. We're going into Christmas. Come on, man. You know you're already hungry this morning, right? And if you feed that appetite, what happens tomorrow? You want to feed it again. And your appetite for stuff grows as it's fed. Have you ever said things like this? This is the last house I'll ever buy. This is the last job I'll ever have. This is the last something, something that I'll ever need. Look, appetites only shrink if you deprive them. In Matthew, we see um, Jesus speaking on the mountain. Jesus uh, uh, talks about fasting. He talks about praying. Well, when we fast, when we pray, many times we're depriving ourselves of the things that we want in order to hear what he wants for us. And some of us can't hear what he wants for us because we're too busy thinking about what we want. The truth is, when you starve an appetite, that's how you'll shrink it. <clears throat> now, let me say this. Discontentment isn't always bad. If you're discontented with your uh, walk with the Lord, then that's a good thing, man. If you want to grow, you're not satisfied, you still hunger, that's a good thing. Jesus became discontented about what was going on at the temple. And what's he do there in Matthew chapter 21? He blows in there and he flips the tables over. Why? Because he's discontented. He's not okay with the way things are. It is good to become, to become discontent with our bad habits, with unhealthy relationships, with lack of progress, with our distance from God, broken relationships. Those types of things it's okay to be discontented in. Dissatisfaction with current circumstances has led to some great evangelistic movements. I mean, I've been, uh, I don't know why, I've just been on Bonhoeffer lately. And so I finished up a book. I had read it years ago. I finished up a book. I picked up another one uh, just out of my office and uh, read about half of it yesterday morning. I know some of you are like, man, I wish I could just sit around and read all day. I know. It's hard work. Somebody's got to do it. But, you know, Bonhoeffer is interesting to me because one of the things he did, he was, in war, he was, of course, over in Germany in World War II. He was known as part of the resistance. He would um, write uh, while he was imprisoned. He was imprisoned a couple times, released, and then there was a time he had to come to America, a chance to come to America and actually teach in one of the universities, be a university student as well as a professor. By the time he was 21, he had his doctorate. He was a phenomenal guy, um, just truly disciplined himself for the works of the Lord. But when he came back, he could have actually avoided being killed over in Germany. But he said when he came to America after being here for four weeks and watching the consumerism and, and being able to live life the way he wanted to live, and he was in New York at the time and go to the university, he became very discontented, and he knew that God had stirred his spirit to send him back to Germany because that's where he was supposed to be. See, a spiritual discontentment is not bad. He would go back, and, and uh, it was interesting. He would later get engaged, and then he would be imprisoned. And yesterday, I read one of the things that the prisoners even spoke of him. They said, even while he was in prison, knowing that at any day he could, leave, he could lose his life, he still continued to spread joy and the word of God amongst each prisoner. Now, that's a big deal. That's learning to be content with what and who he was called to be and to become in this life. 
You know, with that in mind, let's look at a couple things. Uh, go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is one that uh, I like to take the girls to. And like I said, I'm just speaking about our Bible study over the past um, really week. It's been kind of tough because we see God's discontentment with Saul, with man, with foreign nations. And so here we learn from the Apostle Paul really how to become content when you're walking in the will of God, that, that it's a great, great thing. First Timothy chapter 6, 6 through 11. We're going to break this down a little bit. But godliness with contentment is great gain. So if I had to ask you a question this morning, what brings about godliness? Well, the things of God. That's what it means. Real gain is not related to things. Real gain is always related to our relationship in Christ. Great, great gain is not upgrading your TV, your house, your 401K. Those are great things, but they're not great gains. A clear conscience towards God and satisfaction with what we have and where we are and where God has placed us, that's godliness in and with contentment. Then he goes on in verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. So gain can't be about stuff or we live our entire lives and we gain absolutely nothing. If life equals stuff, then when we die, we lose everything. That's just the way it is. I've asked people this question before. When were you the most content in your life? If I ask you that question this morning, man, just think for a moment. When were you the most content in your life? They probably, for me, um, one of the greatest seasons of my life, I lived in a little house of about 1,200 square foot. The front porch had a hole in it about that big, and uh, I would eventually replace it. I bought an old place out in Arnie, Texas. You've heard me talk about Arnie. And then Allison and I, of course, got married, and I moved her to that great city in that great house. And we have so many great times and great memories. We made $1,100 a month, and we got a half side of beef was our pay. But, you know, we had love, and we both were pressing into the Lord. We were traveling a lot during that time, leading worship um, in really the tri-state area. It was a great, great season in our life. Almost every couple, every couple that you interview, when you interview them and say, when were you the most content in your life? You know, most of them say when we first got married. It's just a new season. It's a fun season, and you're growing richly in the Lord. In verse 9, the Apostle Paul goes on to say, those who want to get rich fall into temptations and fall into a trap. People who make living richly their objective fall into a temptation and trap. Trap. There are specific traps. And let me ask you a question. You know what those traps are? No, because they're traps. Come on, guys. Let me tell you, anyone with a credit card balance, don't raise your hand, but you fell in a trap. <laughs> That's like, they sucked you in. Um, we had credit cards up until about seven, eight years ago, and I said no more. And, and seven, eight years ago, I mean, we, we had nothing. Um, when we came over um, to, to harvest and, and planted the church and got the building on Bonham, we started, we, we gave everything we had so we'd go into that building. And, and we were very happy and very, I'm not trying to pat ourselves on the back. I'm just simply saying, look, and then the Lord started showing us, look, you don't need all these balances out there. He goes on to say, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. So discontentment is dangerous. 
In verse 10, you've all heard this verse, for the love of money. Let me break that down for a moment. He doesn't say that money is the root of all evil. He says, for the love of money. So parallel, and he says all kinds of evil. But parallel this idea with want to get rich, leaning into money for life, it's hard to see the love of money in the mirror. So how do we know? Well, remember the crazy dumb things you did when you were in love. What were you willing to do? You'd give anything for her. Come on, men. When I took Allison out on our first date, let me tell you, um, she went out to my pig. I had, now this back in the day, and I've been telling my son, look, there's a little girl that, and hopefully they're not watching. Maybe he will watch. I know he was up last night because I know where he was. Had a ball, military ball last night. But a little girl, he's interested in stuff, and, and he was going to take her on the first date the other day. I said, did you wash your car? He said, Kurt, or he said, Dad, I, I, and I hadn't washed it yet. And he goes, you know, I was hoping we'd take her car because you know what I drive. <laughs> I was like, no, you need to go vacuum that thing. You need to put some smell good in that car. You know, you need to clean that thing up. And, and open that door for her. And he knows all that kind of stuff. But when I first took Allison out, guys, y'all going to make fun of me the rest of my life probably. But um, I not only washed my pickup, but I put a rose in her seat. Come on now. Man, I put that rose over there by me because back in the day, your woman sat right here even in the pickup truck, you know. Anyway, you know, you do crazy dumb things when you're in love. And, and that's really how we stay away from the love of money men those are fun stories you've done something dumb in your life in order to gain something to gain someone now it's a priority thing and the apostle paul goes on to say for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs see discontentment is dangerous but you man of god flee from all of this so he tells us to flee from those things now, he doesn't tell us to, to, to flee from the gaining of finances. That's not what he's saying. From the love of money, flee from that. Money cannot be what brings your happiness. And this, orienting your life about, around more, can be dangerous. You know, there's, there's plenty of times that that even I orient myself around more. If only we had, if only we could, if only all these things. I mean, my girls are, are constantly, Dad, we want to go to, uh, we want to go to the beach again. We're going to want to go to Florida. I'm like, who of you is going to pay for the trip? Bethany, you're 20, you're an adult now. You pay your daddy's way. Okay, let's keep going. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue. So here's the answer. Men, here's the application. And pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Let your life be characterized by pursuit of these things. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Five things there. And this is the contentment with godliness idea. 1 Timothy 6, 18 through 19, the Apostle Paul tells this spiritual son of his these things. Command them to do good, to be rich, but he says to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. 
See, that's where gain is, men. Paul says, flee discontentment. It's dangerous. Discontentment is bridled when you preside, when you decide systematically to be disciplined. That you turn your attention from what you don't have. Now watch this, to what others don't have. That's what he's saying here. He said, learn to be generous and willing to share. What does that mean? That you turn your attention from what you don't have to what others don't have. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to put Adi on the spot, but he's here this morning. But one of the things he recognized when he went overseas is not what he didn't have. What do you reckon? What they don't have. We got orphans. We got widows. What do they not have? What has God blessed us with financially so that we have the opportunity to bless someone else with? One of the beautiful things that just happened, and it really touched my heart, was uh, Sunday. And coming here Sunday and seeing all those names on that board, neighbors loving neighbors. And so it was there the week before, and they were all taken off. That board was filled up again, and we said a couple things, had a video from the Johnston family. It was really cool to see. And then um, when, when we finished up here and I got in a couple of conversations like happens after church, and so I, I walked out here and Allison's waiting on me, and we were about to go into an elders meeting, and I told Allison, I said, hey, um, run down there and make sure you get one of those cards. And she said, Curtis, they're all gone. They were just about gone after the first service. Now, that's amazing because what that means to me is that this church and you men are leading the way and saying there are other ne- others that have needs well beyond our own. Well, that's how you flee discontentment. That's how you get where you're supposed to be. It's where we live open-handed and not closed-fisted. And it's not just about money. It's about your time. It's about your energy. Sunday, we're in um, intercessory prayer. And one of the men that were that was in intercessory prayer said, you know, are we going to the nursing homes? How come we're not serving communion at the nursing homes? And just really begins. What I love about that is what that, what is that? It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about a place that needs Jesus to be served. And we start recognizing, and that's where our discontentment should be, men. This life takes a constant correction, a centering, a constant pursuit of the things of God. And when we are in constant pursuit of the things of God, he will cause us and care for us to be content in and all circumstances. Man, that's what I have for you this morning. There's, uh, I know Christmas is right here and every commercial is trying to convince you and your kids of what you don't have. Be careful with that. That's called consumerism, not godliness. All right? So contentment with gain is what we're after. Men, y'all are welcome to go to those questions. Those of you who joined us online, Merry Christmas. But be with us next week.